Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Get ready for the event of the summer, the Northwoods Throwdown Charity Softball Game. Maine Game Wardens versus New Hampshire Game Wardens. Hadlock Field, Portland, Maine, home of the Sea Dogs. Saturday, August 3rd, gates open at 4 p.m. Meet the Game Wardens playing and be there early for all the events leading up to the game. Get your tickets soon at porttix.com. That's P-O-R-T-T-I-X.com. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'll see you there. Wireless Partners building the first net cellular network for AT&T in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont to ensure first responders can always communicate in emergency situations so you know help is on the way when you need it. Wireless Partners is partnering for success with communities, local and state government, local business, and visitors. Wireless Partners building cellular networks for you. Guidefitter.com. Guidefitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. Guidefitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. 
This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to episode 13, and hitting cleanup is Chris McCabe, main Game Warden. Uh, Chris is coming in. We are about two days out from the big Northwoods throwdown softball game between Maine and New Hampshire. New Hampshire's conservation officers against the Maine Warden Service. Chris is batting cleanup on this podcast, and uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast for sure. So Eric Fluette was back-to-back. Chris McCabe is batting cleanup. Here we go. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Thanks. Today's podcast is with Game Warden Chris McCabe, the Maine Warden Service. So, and that's something I want to talk to your colonel about because I love that you guys are called the Maine Warden Service. I'm so <laughs> jealous. You know, that's, that's a title that nobody else has. Yeah, it's very traditional and uh, we're very proud of it. Yeah, and you should be because I think maybe we were all once called wardens, but over time we've become conservation officers, environmental police, agents. I, I, I can think of other terminology going around the country, but there's only one me, uh, warden service. Yeah, it's uh, it's very, very rewarding um, and very proud to have that name. And there's a lot of history here in Maine uh, going back to 1880. So we're very proud of it. Yeah, and I think we started before you, but uh, you guys kept your name. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> That's open for debate. <laughs> that, that, uh, I'm sure it is. We're going to have this back and forth, just like the softball game that's coming up uh, that you're going to be playing in uh, the Northwoods Throwdown. Yeah, there's not going to be any competition there, is there, Chris? No, uh, I mean, traditionally, <laughs> we're not very competitive up here. Not at uh, all. Our our colonel's very competitive, and mm-hmm. so on, and the rest of us are. We're very competitive. So there's yeah. there's uh there's always that competitive edge between us and New Hampshire. We're very very close working states, and uh, we uh, we have a little bit of competition between the two of us. And, and except for the name, we're we're very similar states. We're probably the most similar in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, other than us being vacation land and you being the live free or die state, that's probably the biggest difference. But yeah, I mean, our states and your are very, size, you can fit for like twelve New Hampshires and yeah, one Maine. Yeah, so. <laughs> but still, we're very similar. Probably, probably Vermont's the next closest to both of us uh, in similarities. But yeah, it's uh, we're very similar states and very similar in what we do for jobs. Yeah, and one of those similarities that a lot of people don't do is the search and rescue part. So, I yeah, know. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely our thing that we're very proud of here in Maine, and uh, we take a lot of responsibility for that. And, and you know, we're we're woods guides. We're the law enforcement in the woods. That's how I always explain it to kids. 
or the police in the woods and they get that and i i think everybody else gets that too because if it happens in the woods it's ours yeah absolutely i mean i always tell people when i'm at speaking engagements and stuff they they don't understand exactly what a game warden is so i'm always like they know what a state trooper is so i'm always like we're the state troopers of the woods Mm -hmm. and uh and then i go on further and explain our mission and our vision values Absolutely. But, you know, the further in the country you get, the sheriff's department start doing the search and rescue. And they use wardens to probably the ultimate because they know they're woods guys. But I, we run the, the search and rescues as far as Maine and New Hampshire. And we're very successful. I've I've watched over the years and how successful we are. And I'm, I'm very impressed with our track record. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely... Uh we have a good track record. I mean, here in Maine, the legislature, actually, we are the responsible party for search and rescue in the state of Maine. We take it very personally and uh, do the best we can. And that's Maine Warden Service and New Hampshire Fishing Game, both uh, very well known for our search and rescue efforts. Yeah, you, you know, I'm talking about search and rescue. Might as well stick with this topic to start off. Do you, what's the biggest search and rescue or the most important one or the one that stands out in your mind? You know, and, and some of these things really get under your skin and tuck in your heart too. So uh, people don't understand it because once you're committed to it, whether you're on the search ground or whether you're running the search, it, it becomes personal. You start dealing with the families. You start, you know, it becomes really personal. And again, being competitive, it, it's a goal to achieve. There's got to be one of those that really stands out in your mind, doesn't there? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it right there where... We all have a competitive edge, and when it comes to search and rescue, we're all very competitive, and we use it to our advantage where we want to find the people. And that's not a personal goal. It's just that we want to be successful and bring these people back to their loved ones. Mm. But here up in the area where I work, obviously the Jerry Largay search weighs heavy on my heart and my mind very often. Yeah, can you give everybody a, if they're not familiar with it, can you give them a, in a nutshell? And yeah, then... so this was a Appalachian Trail hiker that was a through hiker. She had left from Harper's Ferry, and she was traveling north to Katahdin. Her husband was uh, going along the way and meeting her at the road crossings. Her last known location was in the Rangeley area, and she was making her way over towards uh, Sugarloaf on that side of uh, Route 27. So we really had a large area that we were dealing with and it happened to be that that was my first patrol area when I became a game warden. Mm, So you knew the area fairly well. Yeah, I knew the area very well. I not only worked the area, but it was my favorite place to hunt and fish, like just growing up. It's an area that I love to moose hunt and uh, shed hunt up in. I've covered a lot of ground up in there prior to the search and uh, really during the search. So you were probably an integral part of this search you know, I always, you know, took the local guy and tried to, to suck all the information he had out of him as well as use him in searches. So I'm sure that happened to you. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the one of the areas that I was very familiar with. We all in this area, in my section, we were all very familiar with that area, but I had the local knowledge as to places to go. I was there. We were actually at canine training. Uh, we have a had a canine training up at Rip Dam up in northern Maine. And I remember getting the call. Our lieutenant was actually up there with us at the time who's in charge of search and rescue. And I remember him getting the call, and he said, uh, we have a search on the AT. And typically, like when we get the AT searches, they're not uh, they're not really an in-depth search because they don't go very far off the trail. Mm-hmm. Typically, they're, they're 20 feet off the trail. Sometimes they leave their backpack in the trail, and then they go off a short distance. But 
when AT hikers are hiking the trail, it's very rare that they get truly lost in the wilderness mm. um, because they're not going very far. They're right. they're on a course and they're trying to stay on that. And they're course. on a trail that gets hiked a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of traffic through there. Relatively, it's not like they're just striking off into a large parcel of woods. So, really, when we got the initial call, we thought that it was going to be um, very quick and probably wouldn't even respond from where we were with the canines. It ended up being in one of the largest searches in the state of Maine and took over two years to locate her. And and how long did you guys really actively search? We searched very actively the first about two weeks. Mm -hmm. We searched hard, put a lot of time in, and then periodically throughout that time afterwards with no real major clues or anything to provide any better location, we searched uh, periodically throughout those two and a half years. And when you talk about a large area, talk about the terrain too, because people like when, the, when we do searches, they just don't understand the type of terrain we're dealing with. Yeah. So, I mean, when I would describe that terrain, some of it would be, I would describe it as the most hazardous wood, big woods that you're going to see. Uh, some of the largest mountains in the state. We got the second highest peak there near Sugarloaf. Then you got Saddleback Mountain. So you're talking 4,000 footers. Mm. And then you're dropping into ravines that are uh, like 100 feet above sea level. So you got major incline, decline big cliffs, big rock faces, and woods that have never been cut because they physically can't. Um, because of the steepness, that's the rocky right. terrain. Yeah, you can't get in there. You just can't cut them. Talking areas with major water running through them, some streams that are in the area. We were we were up against it. It's one of the largest sections in that, other than the 100-mile wilderness, where there were no roads. There's like It would take us several hours just to get into just our to search get to area. The search area. So it was a major, major search. You must have hit some of those spruce thickets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody <laughs> understands these. Th- I mean, you physically, you can't get through them. They're so tight and they're so, I mean, you just keep pressing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And Yeah. I mean, some of the area like that we searched, we actually were, we physically didn't think anybody could get through there, but they had to be searched because we were like, because you're, you're kind of line searching. You're right. covering country, and you have to say every foot has been covered. Exactly, because I, I wasn't going to leave that place without any stone unturned, and even if I physically had a hard time getting through it, I knew that there still was a possibility that somebody could be in there. There were spots where I was out with my canine going up the backside of Sugarloaf Mountain where my dog was underneath me by four feet as I was climbing over the brush, and I could see my dog underneath me. It was so thick. Uh, that's crazy. And then, and then you get the drop-offs going through that thick stuff. It drops 30 feet straight down. Yeah, and you can't see it. You can't see it. And you just, you're you, almost on it. And I've, I've grabbed spruce trees to hang back on because I'm yep. stepping off of a 30-foot drop that, yeah, you never saw it coming. <laughs> so, no, I and I just don't think people understand when we go do a line search, that means whatever's there, we have to go through it so we can say we covered it. Yeah. I mean, when I look at my GPS at the end of the day, whether I'm on a grid search or whether I'm out with my canine, I want to feel comfortable when I bring it back to the command post that they say, this has absolutely been covered. Cause I would feel horrible if we found out later that someone was in that area that we had searched. And that's really the aspect that, warden service that we take we want to be the best that we can and we're going to go out there and cover it completely right and sometimes when we use other search teams 
they don't cover it like we do. Exactly. So when we know we have areas that have been covered, sometimes we'll send warden teams back in those areas to make sure they were covered because they're high probability areas. I'm sure you experienced it during that search. They were like, yeah, we covered this, but we used volunteers, which volunteers are awesome. But when it comes to those spruce thickets, they're smarter and they go around them. Exactly. I mean, I feel 100% comfortable when I hear that a warden service team has covered this and it was run by a warden service canine team or anything like that. Just for the fact that I know the guys that I'm working with, I may not know the individual searchers and we couldn't do it without the individual searchers either. Like oh, no, they're definitely no. like we're, and by no means am I right. discrediting them or anything. Right. We're indebted to them. Like I said, they're smarter than we are yep. because the, they went around that spruce thicket <laughs> exactly. and we go through it. <laughs> yeah. Even though nobody could physically go exactly. through that spruce exactly. thicket and I've yet to find anybody in there. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's just a better feeling for me to know that it's been covered. Yes. And that's when it gets back to the command post and we color in those spots, you know, I, you know, I don't look like we're going back to that area. Exactly. So it makes me feel good. So as that progressed, I mean, the first two weeks you are, you guys are hitting it hard and looking everywhere. And then that it's, again, you're, you're kind of lost there. And that's, that's a tough thing as far as letting go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once you get to five days, you really, it starts to weigh on you and you mm-hmm. realize that things may be going bad. We realized in at two weeks that things were really, really bad. Because you start to lose hope. Right. And as much as we're not connected to the people, we do build a connection just by seeing seeing folks and uh, like our command staff was building relationships with the family. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that like really sparked my attention the most was um, once we got to the two week and we were ending, the family was standing out there with signs. They were thanking us for everything that we had done. That really weighed on me. Like even to this day, it, it just bothers me that we couldn't bring her home. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. And, you know, one of my specialties with critical incidents is I worked very closely with the families and I realized that I was probably better than other lieutenants because I, I developed a sensitivity early on. And, uh, I, you know, I, I tried to let them know every time we were doing things, keep them informed. And, you know, that is, it, it, it's tough when you develop that relationship. And the longer that you're doing a search, the more relationship you build. And, they become friends, they become, you know, and your their pain is your pain. Exactly. I mean, and, and for me, like being being on the ground and stuff, I was separated from that, which was good for me because it still bothered me, even though I wasn't, didn't have that connection. So the supervisors had that connection, mm. but still seeing them around, you know, that with our success that we always have and how successful we are in these searches, that once we got further and further into it and we hadn't had any success that it really was weighing heavy on us that we were uh we were looking at something that was very different yeah no no doubt no doubt and that you said it lasted two years basically yeah yeah it was uh probably just over two years before a forester actually came across uh the remains of her tent site and uh located located the subject which brought brought great closure to all of us mm-hmm. uh and really that's in the end that's what we were looking for was closure for the family further into the search was she in your search area she wasn't she yeah. actually was outside the search area she was she was in the navy seer school it was it's a navy property up there uh she was just over the boundary in there but it was an unusual place for someone to be how far off the at I think it was uh, three thousand, like three thousand feet. I think it was close to that. It was, it was a ways. It was further than we would have searched. The biggest underlying issue that we had was we had such a large 
length of the Appalachian Trail that we were searching. Yes. And we didn't know how far, how deep to go. Mm-hmm. So when we had the limited information, we had had some sightings and uh, some people thought that they'd seen her. So we really hit those areas hard. Mm. And this was an area that we just hadn't been in. We had some teams get relatively close, but not close enough that they would have found her. At the time, like looking back at it, like there were some things that like we wish we could have changed and probably she wishes she could have changed too and found a better spot for a campsite for sure because it was pretty thick cover. Mm, absolutely. And I think so So many times those, those eyewitnesses accounts, how they've steered us the wrong way. I do not like them. I never have, but you got to use those. And, you know, I, I, I can think of a couple searches that the guy told me he saw at McDonald's and, you know, describes them and stuff. And you think that's it. It wasn't him. Yeah. Know? I mean, we had, we had information that this person had been seen in several different locations throughout the United States. Yes. And, and you always have to look into those because mm-hmm. you just never know it. And, Sometimes it steers you in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And you're, Absolutely. You're, you're looking. More often than not, it steers you in the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so we had a sighting of one location. Some hikers thought they had seen her and it ended up being the wrong person. Mm. So we were looking in a different location. Than we, we put were, a lot of effort in that area. Yeah. Yep. No, it, it's tough. And I don't, as, as people look at us searching, doing search and rescue, you know, we try to do the highest probability areas. We focus and when sometimes when people are outside of that search area, I mean, you're you're talking a massive search area, and they're outside of it. Uh, it just cuts your 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 success rate down to almost nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's there. it's tough. It really is. But I mean, overall, in Maine, we are very successful, and uh, mm. that that was the that was the biggest overall thing with this one that really bothered me was our success rate up until that search. We had been so successful in this area with these searches but you'd always been searching in a high probability area and exactly that's the key yeah that's the key you you can't search the state of maine no yeah i mean it would be nearly impossible it would be impossible yeah (laughs) you you take your best information and you go with that so right you know certainly i think if she was within your search area you guys would have been successful so you know certainly nothing that nothing should be you know, I understand not winning. <laughs> right, right. I understand not finding that person, letting them go. You know, and usually later they're they're found or something. And in the case of Mount Washington, we've had some some good recoveries within weeks. You know, which is so much easier for the family to have closure in that time frame. A couple of years that, that that's a lot of toughness. And every time you're in that area, uh, what are you thinking? Absolutely. I mean, I would go up there on my days off, and I would hunt. I'd look around and I'd check different areas just on my days off because uh, there was always that possibility that you just didn't know where. Always she in the was back of your be. mind, wasn't it? Yeah, it always was. Always. Like it just uh, something that I mean, I think about it to this day, and uh, it's just if we could have changed anything, could we have found her to bring her home? But in the end, there is closure. That's the best thing for mm-hmm. the family. We were able to make a recovery and uh, help the family move on. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's huge. So, but you know, uh, getting into that, it's always in the back of your mind. This this game warden job, I always tell people it, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Oh, I tell people that all the time. I say, I go, you know, I was like, if I wanted a career, I would have done something different <laughs> uh, because this is a lifestyle. Like I live and breathe this job. I mean, everything, everything that I do is like related to this, whether I'm working or whether I'm on day off. And when you talk about hunting and fishing, you know, uh, Eric Fluett and I got, went hunting the first time when he was up in the area, and we 
talk about this, I think, on the other podcast. But, uh, you know, we're trying to pick out a spot to hunt. And I'm like, we got a case going on in this area. Let's let's hunt that area. I think there's <laughs> another illegal bait in there. So and I shot an eight-point buck, and he found another illegal bait site. It worked out really good. Plus, he dragged. So, <laughs> but but that, that's what it is. You know, on our days off, it's always in the back of our head. Oh, absolutely. You, you hunting in the area of the search and rescue mission. Um, because it's that's probably in the back of your head. Oh yeah, like I always, I always thought, you know what? I'll, I'll go up there and hunt a little bit, and it'll help help in the search. And uh, yeah, we're always working on our days off. Like I, even some of my places I like to fish. My secret spots are places where I I like to like to watch people. Did, did you ever see a violation when you're on your day off and address it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that hap- it happens quite frequently. Uh, we have some. I have some special regulation areas. That one of my spots is a kids only water. I watch it pretty close. I've driven by with my on my day off and seen people. And I'll, luckily, it's close to my house, so I can zip home, <laughs> zip home, and grab my truck and take off down there again. <laughs> mm. so, have, have you ever just been in your personal truck and have to identify yourself, take some action? Yeah, it happens. Uh, I try not to as much, but around here, a lot of they all know me, uh, so everybody kind of. <laughs> so rec- you walk up and they say, "Yep, yeah, sorry, Chris." Yeah, you got me. yeah, they mm-hmm. all recognize me around here. So mm-hmm. there's, no, there's <laughs> like I still go about it the right way and show them identification. But uh, yeah. if if it's they uh, all, my wife used to hate that because it would be ice fishing or something, and I'd have to it'd be at the end when they were leaving or we were leaving. But you know, I'd keep the driver's license too and say, you know, I'll get that back to you. You know, <laughs> yeah. what I what do I do when I get stopped? I'm like, well, you tell the police officer that the game warden has your driver's license so and he can call me (laughs) i always i always think about that like i when i go for runs and stuff we have this local recreational trail and i'm always out there running and i see see an atv go by and i'm checking registrations Mm -hmm. and and i'm like when that unregistered one comes by i'm going to grab their license and i'll catch up with them once i'm done my run (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to tell a mike moody story here did you know mike moody oh yeah yeah Yeah. mike Mike was the 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 former the earl of errol they called him so (laughs) and uh he's he was the game warden in errol and he was a heck of a game warden but one time and they, they thought it was me, actually. That's why I got to tell this story, because uh, he ran into a stop sign on his day off right at the junction of Roof 26 and 16. <laughs> and I knew why he did it. He was checking registrations on sleds, <laughs> and he had his head curled the other way. <laughs> yeah. So he ran right smack into the stop sign that was in the middle of the road, because it was right in the middle of the road. So, And oh. of course, it came over the radio that the warden hit, you know, ran into the stop sign and state police. Well, everybody thought it was me, because Mike was off. So I, I got blamed for that, So which he loved. So I'm, I'm going to clarify this for all to, to listen. But it's hard not to, isn't it? I mean, It is. To, I mean, uh, like I listened to the podcast with Norman, and Norman got that great moose case when he was out he's for out a running. run. I mean, he's up there working, <laughs> but he's out for a run. And Norman and I used to run together when we'd be at canine training. And I could just see it now. I can see Norman out there sweating his bald head off and did, just, did you uh, run a couple circles around him and uh, he would always he would always let me go ahead oh, okay <laughs> Nor- i'll tell you there's one guy like right there like uh Norman, he doesn't quit does he? no he doesn't <laughs> and uh if there was anybody that if i ever got lost in the woods i always said i wanted norman coming looking for me because that guy was uh heck of an outdoorsman and he can that guy can travel through the woods very quickly yeah yeah like i <laughs> like i said on the podcast when i think of a main warden i think norm lewis yeah i know. mean he's kind of that uh like if you if you drew a cartoon of a main game warden, it would be a cartoon of Norm Lewis. Like he's just that that just he kind of fits the bill. He's just like that big guy that he he was a great guy and he uh, held his own for sure. 
Yep, and, and he lived the lifestyle of a game warden. <laughs> and, and I think we all fight it. You know, we stop in Walmart, get asked questions and stuff, and that doesn't bother me because that's part of it. Yeah, I you mean, know? you know, I always I always took the the route of I want to be the people's game warden. First started this career 12 years ago. That's what I said I wanted to do. I really try to live up to that, whether I'm working or whether I'm off. And when I see people out there, my interaction with them, I want that to go a long ways. I really, I really enjoy that part of the job. I really do talking to people and you know what? Hey, it's, it's part of life. Like you said, it's a, it's not a career. It's a lifestyle and talking to people when you're at Walmart or uh, just at the local convenience store, you never know when you're going to need the help. So it's always, uh, always nice to have those people on your side. Yeah. Well, let's go first circle. Let's go back to the, the lifestyle and starting and wanting to be a game warden. Some guys, when did you start? So I grew up in a really small town in central Maine. Uh, I graduated high school with 45 students in my class. you mind sharing the town? Yeah, it's Monmouth. So, Monmouth. Yeah, I went, to, uh, I went to Monmouth Academy, which is, it's not a private school, but sounds sounds, sounds really pretty good. good. Sounds really good. Yeah. It does. It sounds really good. But uh, yeah, I grew up in a small town there. One of my classmates, his father was a lieutenant with the Maine Warden Service. I always saw him growing up, and we played baseball together from uh, Little League all the way up through to high school. His dad kind of followed his career later. More once we get to high school, dad would come to all the games and stuff. And uh, I always looked up to him uh, as to what he did for a career. And I, I knew I wanted to go down that career path at about eighth grade. Uh, I said that I really wanted to be in the outdoors and uh, work probably as a game warden if that worked out. So I looked up to him very much, and then his daughter became a game warden. And I remember seeing her on Bill Green's Maine, which is a local TV show here. Yeah. And I remember seeing her out paddling on uh, the local lake that we lived near. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, that's a that's a career path that I want to go getting down. getting paid to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love to hunt and fish. And I, I love to protect the resource. So mm. for me, it was it was definitely a career path that I felt I could go down. So you had someone to look up to, yeah. someone to bounce things off of, someone to kind of guide you? Yeah, and I mean, one of the things too, growing up in that area, I had a game warden that I actually never interacted with until I became a game warden. But I knew his name, and I was scared to death of him. <laughs> and uh, he... So you knew his reputation. Exactly, and... That was one of the things that I remember most as a kid was I always remember hearing the warden's reputation. For me, that was very important because it kept me on a straight and narrow path. And I remember that he always, I, the rumor was that he had a telescope that he actually used to watch ice fishermen with on Cobsey. And we always had a shack out there every year. And I was petrified that he was watching me. <laughs> and, you know... I always H- said... Hence my name for the podcast was Warden's Watch. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always said that a healthy fear from a game warden was a really good thing mm-hmm. because it kept me on the straight and narrow. It was one of those things that that really drove me to be the person that I am today. I, I treat people with respect when I'm out in the field and I also want them to understand that there's a healthy fear from me because it keeps people honest. And I really liked that, uh, and that was one of the things I really strove for and kind of drove me into this career. Mm. So you kind of wanted to mimic what they had been doing, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I really... You looked up to them. They were 
Even though you didn't interact with him, just his reputation. Right. I mean, you hear people uh, all the time that they say, I met this game warden and they had such a profound impact on me that I wanted to become a game warden. And for me, it was the opposite. I never met the game warden, but I knew about his story and Mm. what the, that people were scared of him. And it wasn't a, it wasn't they were, that he was scary as a person, but it was always that the story was that he watched people and he was very strict on the laws. And I appreciated that. And uh, he was protecting the resource for us. And uh, I really, uh, I really looked up to that, what we would call an old school game warden at this point, you know, and I, I, I kind of fall back more towards that traditional style of game warden work where I really like to do that. Yeah. I got a story from New York and I was down on the Sopus River and just it's like the Catskills and, you know, a second generation game warden covered that area, but his father before him, I, I, I probably shouldn't have, but I checked fishing licenses when I was an assistant forest ranger. So, <laughs> but anyways, these, I, I kept getting these stories about uh, this warden. They'd be like, you'd be fishing the Usopus, you know, it's a big fly fishing area and they'd catch the hint of pipe smoke and they'd look around and on a rock, like, you know, six feet away, would be this game warden sitting there smoking his pipe, watching him. And, you know, the first time it's kind of, yeah, that's funny. Well, about the sixth time that I heard this, you know, they're like, you almost jump out of your skin. It's the most eerie thing. Like, he's been sitting there the whole time, and he had time to light his pipe, and you're sitting there fly fishing, and you're like, is that pipe smoke? So he goes, it was the second time it happened to me. I knew right away what it was. So, you know, it's just like you said, that's that, that watching that, you know, and that's generations, you know, that, that go down through and the, those fishermen remember it. And, you know, it I really is. Right. It's a, it is a history. And the funny part about it is, too, that game warden, I never met him until I actually became a game warden. And I was up at court here in Farmington and I ran into him and he was a court officer. And he knew me by my last name. And he goes, I can't believe that they hired a McCabe. (laughs) 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 And I, I, to this day, I I think that that's the greatest thing because like I, I respected him and uh, he totally respects me at this point. And you know what? Like my, my family may have had a, had a name for themselves down there, but I went down a different path. I mean, my grandfather, like he owned an apple orchard back in the day and, oh and boy. Uh, he shot a lot of deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always remember seeing the deer racks up on my grandma, <laughs> on my grandmother's like, like her house. And I was just like, I, I don't understand that. But he did. He, uh, he did what he had to do to survive. And back then that was the way that they did it. Right. And uh, I mean, there were a lot of deer that were in the orchard and they were doing a lot of damage. I'll never forget when I saw that game warden for the first time in court and he was the court officer and he said, I can't believe that they hired him a cave. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I Similar history. My, my uncle was probably, a, he was pretty class act poacher too. So, but I think he had so much pride that I was a game warden because he had a good relationship with the game wardens. It's kind of like the, the wolf and the sheepdog, you yeah. know? But, but he tells a story but he was spent the night in a swamp because the game warden was sleeping in the field when he shot that deer in the field up out of the middle of the field comes the game warden that was sleeping there you know and off through the woods he goes and shoves the shotgun and he spent the night in the swamp the most miserable night he ever spot and then the warden shows up at his house you know yep so yep. you know no, it was like I mean it's uh, it's always good to see those guys and uh, I, I keep up with those guys the retirees and it's uh, mm. it's nice to nice to and I'm gonna be them. talking to those guys too because they got some stellar stories they of do I mean things have changed over the years and some of those stories back then uh 
they're pretty impressive. Yeah, and they don't mind saying what they what's on their mind anymore. <laughs> exactly. So they'll, they'll tell you how it was and how it is, <laughs> and you know, so that, that that's pretty good. And you, you you know, you're married, and your wife, she's got a, a fishing game connection and a game warden connection as well, huh? Yeah. Ironically, uh, my wife went to school to be a game warden. She went to Unity College and studied conservation law enforcement. And I was the opposite. I went to the University of Maine Orono and I studied wildlife ecology. Kind of like role reversal. Yeah, huh? and it's total role reversal. Like she's not a biologist, but she works for our department. She uh, she works for information and education. She's actually the director there now, and she is uh, she is a huge part of our department as a whole, getting us out there and making making our outreach even bigger. She actually is very aware of what wardens do because uh, one of her family members was a game warden at one time. So she understands the job and understands like I may not be around as much as I am supposed to be. She's a very understanding wife and, and I appreciate that. Every game warden's wife has got to be an understanding <laughs> exactly, wife. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, it, it, if it's not, it's a miserable existence, exactly. I gotta believe. So yeah. I just, yeah, because every time you go through the door, you got potential to go right back out. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it never fails, you know. You make plans and <laughs> something's, something's about, like, dinner's ready, dinner's on the table, and right when you get there, it's you get that call that you're going. <laughs> yeah. And, and as a lieutenant, it didn't matter if you were a day off, day on. I, I remember calling Bob Mancini. He's out to dinner with his wife, and he's like, Lieutenant, I'd go, but it's my anniversary. And I'm like, Yeah, I'll cut you some slack, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, those, those are tough situations for sure. So it, it's great to have an understanding wife, someone that works within the department. You know, I'm sure she can uh, help you out in certain instances. With- yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're always bouncing stuff off of each other. And uh, like she, uh, she runs the Facebook for the department, uh, which is a huge undertaking. And uh, she she's always bouncing law questions off of me, and I'm asking her stuff. And it's a it's a very good work relationship and a good home life too, because we can kind of we totally have an understanding of each other, and uh, she can appreciate what I'm doing, and I really appreciate. And her schedule's got to be pretty messed up too, isn't it? Yeah, hers is really. Uh, she's she kind of works Monday through Friday, but. Sometimes. But I saw her at the the moose uh, lottery yeah, drawing. Works, yeah, she works so. a lot of weekends and uh, these events and stuff. She has to go to. She's always kind of on the go and and with social media, it's twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so she's constantly she's constantly on her phone. She is constantly updating on her phone. this, doing that. You know, because yeah, you're right. It, it's constantly. It is. It's uh, uh, it's always constant. Yeah. <laughs> So. I was hoping this was the year. I thought she was getting a moose permit, but yeah, it's not rigged. She's not getting one. You know, everybody says that. And oh, I'm like, yeah. you know, my dad's been putting it up for over 20 years. He still <laughs> hasn't got one, you know? know. But of course, the, the the year I get married, my father-in-law gets one like instantly. So that was the big rumor. I know. I've I, like, I've been fortunate. I, uh, I got one in the year I got hired by the warden service. So I, everybody uh, really thought that was rigged. Yeah. So they- <laughs> I'm going to have to start putting it for Maine because we do 51 permits now. Yeah. That's, Maine's the place to go if you yeah. want to get a moose permit, especially Absolutely. in the lower 48. It's it's uh, definitely like we upped the permits this year, and so it's a and it's a fun hunt. It is a fun hunt, and you you get to participate in that as well. I do. I I work the moose hunt. Have been to the lottery several times, and uh, usually I try to go down on my days off. So like if I if I uh, Emily's always got to go. So if I'm on a day off, I'll try to go. This year I had to work, so I couldn't make it down. I I always like to participate in the moose lottery, and and like we said earlier, like I I really enjoy getting around and talking with the sportsmen of the state of Maine. So it, it's a good opportunity to reach out and talk to people. Any good moose cases? 
Yeah, I've had a few good moose cases over the years. Uh, one that comes to mind, probably it was right about when I first came on. I was I was living by myself. So when you're when you're a game warden living by yourself, that's uh, all you do is you work. Come on, you work twenty four hours a day, seven that, days a week. Because you'd be bored otherwise. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was I <laughs> was there, always always working. Uh, <laughs> I had a call once. Uh, had information that some people had uh, shot a moose, cow moose, out of season. Uh, some bear hunters were out. It was a guide that called in, and I think he was pretty scared because it happened right around his bait sites. So he really uh, didn't he really didn't want me coming and knocking on his door. Yeah. So he called in, and he actually had a good report of uh, the vehicle. I was able to get up there in a short amount of time, and actually sat there waiting for the guys. And they came out with the moose in the back of the pickup. That one was a really good. And you sprung the trap. Yes, sprung the trap. <laughs> How'd that work out? It was good. Uh, luckily, I was I had two deputies that were with me. Okay, and uh, we we ended up getting them, and they were uh, they were hunting under the influence of alcohol, and uh, they had shot a cow moose. And they had it in the back of the truck, and I was actually just looking at the photos the other day. We're gonna have to put that photo and, on the. And you they know, were uh, as a yeah, teaser they were, on the podcast they were, or something because they were covered in blood. They were just all covered. And uh, what's the look on their face? When you when you step out and they also know the game warden, it was there. pretty sickening. Yeah, they yeah. were pretty sick. Their actual excuse was that they had been putting in for a moose permit for a very long time and that they had never had one. <laughs> so it was and, time uh, to get their moose. yeah. So it was time to get their moose, and uh, I thought otherwise. So they uh, they were all charged with night hunting, close season moose case, and uh, the deputies are still waiting for their red coats because that's always the joke up here. Is if if they get a night hunter with you or help you out with one that they're supposed to get a red coat but it's uh it's that's not kinda, a bad tradition actually. yeah it's a cool tradition but we're kind of i'm kind of stingy with my red coat i got some old ones you can have so <laughs> i might have took the patches off yeah you know? but yeah. it's still a red coat i know the red coats i'll buy him a columbia your red coat or something yeah <laughs> that's that that's just an awesome awesome thing i just I, I can picture them as you step out of the woods and there's the game warden standing there and uh yeah, yeah i mean the red-handed was, thing you can't get much better than the red handed no it was good i i was worried that they were going to come out and there was going to be nothing uh but they had the moose in the back they had a piece of plywood over it that they had used to drag the moose up into the bed of the pickup went back found the shell casing found the drag marks where they had actually dragged the moose was down. it during the moose season no it was close season ah uh, yeah so it was prior to we the had season. one poached during the season what a, what a great idea yeah i know right yeah like, yeah no one's going to see anything. Yeah, <laughs> plain sight. You know, yeah, I saw the guys dragging a moose right out there. So yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it was pretty good. It, that was a really good moose case. Have had a lot of good deer cases, uh, a lot of night hunters. One of which was a good one. I had um, it was in the place where I was living when I was all by myself, and found out later after I moved out that my neighbor was a really big night hunter. Wow, and he must have been really excited that you moved in next door to him. Yes, he was very excited, but he was even more excited when I left. And uh, <laughs> he could get back to normal business. Yes, and uh, and he did. He got back to normal business, and uh, word got around to me that uh, he was he was back up to his old tricks. And I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but he had uh, talked about how the game warden was around. He knew when I was there, knew when I was leaving, because mm. he could see he could see where I was living. Put a really uh, really good effort in on that. Uh, sat sat on the guy's house, located the bait, found that the guy had a driveway alarm on the bait site. We went and I watched for four to five nights. I sat and watched him illuminate this bait pile. Eventually, we decided that we were going to stick decoy out, and uh, we ended up 
putting it out there, which was scary. I was going to say, so at night, you're putting the decoy out on his Apple pile or bait site that has a driveway alarm. Yes. So that was, uh, it was very difficult. I hope you're a fast runner. Yeah, luckily we are. (laughs) But I will say it was a, uh, it was an interesting moment because when we started to walk towards the bait pile, we kicked a gray fox off and we didn't know it. And next thing- The buzzer went off? Buzzer went off inside and the spotlight was shining right out. As we stood there, trying not to make any movements. (laughs) No pucker factor there, huh? Yeah, there was, yeah, it was a lot of pucker factor. Yeah. So we ended up, uh, we ended up, Getting in there and getting set up, we ended up apprehending him. I, I'm going to tell you that takes. Yeah, uh, I'm, you know. Yeah, it was definitely. I've never done that. Okay. Yeah, it I've was made def- some backyard cases, but <laughs> yeah. I have never physically put a decoy out on because that. Yeah, uh, I mean, we, my hats off to you. I mean, we watched it for four, four or five nights, I think it was, and I documented. I think it was over, over forty times he lit the bait pile. Wow, never had any live bait on it. No, as far as deer, no deer. I, I. But they were definitely in there, but mm-hmm. nothing that would... And the information was, too, that he was waiting for a really big buck. Mm-hmm. And that was partly the reason why we we knew at some point that we were going to probably have to get the decoy out there yep. because he was he was, he was was targeting a specific deer. Okay, I cut you off because I was kind of overwhelmed what you were doing. So. Yeah. And, so, and as a supervisor, I'm thinking... Um, yeah, that's something you tell the supervisor after you did it. <laughs> or, or was he there helping you? I know some he was of your there, supervisors. Yeah, you yeah. know who my supervisor yeah. is. He was there helping. He was, he was there it helping. It was probably his idea. Yeah, yeah. As he sat in the truck. <laughs> so, so anyways, you're, you're halfway out there. The light comes on. The pucker factor. And then we were we were able to wait till the light got shut down. And then we were able to set out the deer uh, away from the sensor. So we were we were able to get it away from the sensor, so it was just a little ways behind, uh-huh. which worked out well because eventually he came and checked it, and it was about an hour later uh, that he checked it, and I was tucked in very close, looking in, looking in his uh, window. I was in the wood line looking through through his window, and come to find out, what he had was it was actually a bigger setup than we thought, where he had a sliding window with foam around it, and he had a pillow laid out with the rifle, and so a uh, rest. He had it all all ready a to quiet, go. Quiet, easy. Slide the window out. Put the gun on the pillow. Exactly. Easy shooting. This it, is your neighbor. Yeah, it was or once uh, upon a time neighbor, right? That's... And it was uh, it was definitely eye opening. When the when he shot it shot he tried to so, he, so you you can see him does you you actually see him put the gun and, I did I saw him put the gun up on the rest and he wiggled the spotlight trying to see if the deer trying to make the deer move so mm-hmm. he just wiggled it a little bit he fired and I ran right up to the window and I I put my light on him because the, there was a big picture window to the side and I uh, shined my light and yelled at him warden service he pulled the round out and he held the round up and he says here you go. <laughs> well, that was a good end to it. It was. And he was cooperative? Uh, luck, what we had done was we had done a uh, preemptive warrant just in case. Yeah. Uh, so we had written a warrant to enter the house, and uh, we executed the warrant on the house immediately upon him firing the firing at the deer. We, we ended up, he was cooperative. Uh, we ended up seizing the firearm, uh, arresting him for night hunting. We were able to look on his game cameras and see that there were a lot of other, lot of other photos. We didn't get any other deer. Uh, mm-hmm. He did have some deer meat there, but we couldn't, uh, we couldn't say whether it was poached or not. But uh, yeah, that was uh, 
that was one that was a good ending because uh, he had been getting away with it for quite a while. Mm. So that one, that one felt very good. I had another one too that was a really good one. Um, Those backyard guys are so hard to get to. That was so. a yeah, and I had an. I actually got a picture. It was I got some information from Operation Game Thief of uh, of a poaching going on out back of this camp. I went and found it. I found this little shed that was set up with a driveway alarm again, and it had a had a big pile of bait on it. And I said, "It's uh, it was right around my birthday. I my birthday is in November, which is fun because I like deer season. So I set the goal of I, I was going <laughs> to catch a I was going to catch a night hunter on my birthday. We we sat out. We walked uh, a mile into the camp and set out with our sleeping bags there isn't a better birthday gift no that's what i I said i go i don't care that's awesome yeah i said you know this is this is what i want for my birthday i said this is the gift that i want so i worked for it myself and another game warden went out uh we went out slept in our sleeping bags watching this camp lo and behold they showed up at about nine o'clock and they they were in the trailer first and then they walked up to the cabin they went up there and uh, we heard deer all over the place that night. There were deer all around us, and you could hear them in the leaves just crunching around. And I, I was like, you know, this this could be that one night that things are really going to click. Mm. It was about, I think, I think the picture says eleven fifty nine on my birthday, so it was just before the end of my birthday. They, I heard some crunching going on, and next thing I know, boom, and no light. And I said, oh boy, Ooh. I was like, we got some issues. So we waited, and I saw him come out with flashlights looking for the deer. The warden that was with me hadn't been in there yet, but I had, so I knew the way to get there quick. Gotcha. And he was way behind me, but I got up to the camp, mm-hmm. and no one was in the camp, and they were out there. Took, Pulled him out at gunpoint, got him handcuffed. They had shot a doe deer with uh, night vision, wow. and they were inside this camp, and the camp had all kinds of firearms, and it was just a little cabin, but they had the whole thing set up with their beds and a driveway alarm vibrator underneath their pillow and as soon as the driveway alarm would go off they would they'd look out and shoot shoot what was ever whatever was on it they were charged with night hunting later it was brought to my attention that they had a defense that there was some canadian in the cabin with them that i didn't know was there they had made it out before i got there <laughs> and they came up with some canadian name <laughs> that shot the deer yeah that, that, that they weren't there yes and... that they that they had nothing to do with that this canadian did and uh wow. we uh we were able to extinguish that really the true fact was that they had shot the deer as we all knew that one was a good one they had, it's it's not very often that you're sitting out on a backyard uh, bait like that and someone shoots a live deer in front of you just because no. a lot of times you're very close and I mean as we all know when we're deer hunting scent's a big thing so mm-hmm. a lot of times deer won't come in but in this case they did they shot a live deer right in front of us uh, and, another uh, red-handed red-handed backyard hunter and and I've always found those are the best usually they they give it up I mean yeah they don't I mean, make up stories about a Canadian that was in there that did this yeah you didn't see in this and one, ran away this guy was definitely this has been an ongoing issue for a very long time mm-hmm. and uh this needed both of them needed to be stopped uh both in both cases they were very intentional violators it's hopefully they learned their lesson you never know they were they were the intentional violators that we're really after right and what scares me i'm going to do a whole podcast on this is the technology that is coming into hunting now and the affordability of it and how that's going to change our jobs in the future yeah i mean you look at it with infrared 
infrared is so cheap now yeah you can you can buy thermal imaging you can buy any of that stuff it's changing the game of how we can work and it's making it far more dangerous mm-hmm. um, absolutely it's 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 putting the advantage in their court right and you know a lot of people don't understand the dangers of being a game warden you know i mean that's where you know i think the fbi says statistically you know we we have more in the line of duty deaths than any other but we have such a small number so. yeah i mean in maine i mean the uh, the memorial wall in augusta has the the most game wardens uh the most law enforcement to die in the state of maine are game wardens and a lot of those are due to drownings uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of drownings that happen in this this line of work which we're trying to deter now by doing more training with that like we just a month ago i was training in a pool with my full uniform on and it's it's changing the game it's changing how we can work and it doesn't make it such a surprise when you fall in with your duty belt on which is good but our job is inherently dangerous due to the fact that 95 percent of the people we deal with have a weapon Mm -hmm. they either have a gun they have a knife and you look at you look at local law enforcement and they they don't if they see someone with a gun or a knife they're getting them down on the ground they're drawing them down they're um they're pulling them out at gunpoint and they're getting them down on the ground so for us like we we have the disadvantage of just talking to people with a firearm. And we get comfortable around them. Sometimes that's not good. Absolutely. I mean, it's happened to me in the past. I, I had a kid, I had a youth hunter standing there with a shotgun on his foot. I asked him, I said, is that gun loaded? And he he just lackadaisically was like, yeah, it's loaded. I go, you need to get it off your foot. And he swung it up in my face. Ugh. And I grabbed the barrel of the gun and I was like, don't, don't ever do that. It was just a total lack of respect for the firearm itself, really, was what it come down to. And really, that's uh, a lot of times it's just some people get nervous around wardens, like when they're, mm-hmm. you're, ask, you're talking to them, yep. and uh, you may have an accidental discharge. So a lot of times when we approach people, it's always, hey, point the gun in a safe direction, unload it, because we don't want an accidental discharge right in your direction. I mean, we're looking out for their best interest as well as ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, dealing with those guns, it's just, and it's not that it's routine for us, but we have to approach it in a different way, and we have to, we, we, we can't do the normal police stuff. And right, uh, you know, a friend of mine's a chief of police. He's like, I don't know how you do it, Wayne, because every time I see those guns, the the hair on my back and my neck stands up, and I feel like drawn down on them. And you do this all the time, and we have to actually read the people to see what demeanor and how they're going to use it. And a lot of that comes with community policing for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're we're very rural up here but we're also we have some big cities and a lot of the time like we know the players like as game wardens we know the people around right. you we can call them by their first name. yeah so you have an interaction with these people you've met them in the past and you can kind of read how they're how they are as a person and you can tell if they're having an off day or if they're having a normal day no and doubt. that's a lot of our job is reading people for sure absolutely I had an incident that just sends chills through me right now. Uh, this guy was had a big car, and he had the trunk open, and he never saw me pull up, and I walked to the back, and I was pretty much standing beside him when I said, you know, hey, can, can, what are you up to? Well, he sees me, and he runs for the driver's side, and the door's open, and he jumps in. And I pulled my gun. I'm screaming at him, stop, stop, stop. And he jumps in, he grabs something, and he twists in the driver's seat, and I'm squeezing down on my trigger, as I see his wallet is in his hand. And uh, talk about shook up. 
I was just, you know, so shook up. And, and he, was, uh, he was living out of his car. He had some issues. He had gas cans in the back. And, you know, I was just like, uh, I was done. I'm like, yep, you're, you're fine. You're fine, okay? I, I, I was like talking about an adrenaline dump that were... Yeah, and people don't realize, like, at the end of the day, that when it comes down to our training and stuff, if furtive movements and, yeah. like, all this, like, if... The best thing to do is just to stand by to stand by. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, hey, let listen. us tell you right. what to do. You right. know, hey, we're going to conversation, check right. your license. It's not, you know, don't. it's nothing to get nervous about, right. you know. And I, to this day, I just, at that time, it was just, it's still. Yeah, that's nerve-wracking. It's very nerve-wracking <laughs> when, you know, all your training is telling you that you're going to have an issue. And then, you know, and, he, and if it had been a gun, he probably would have got the first shot off. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing is, like, they, they have the advantage on that for sure because mm-hmm. it's like we're trying to give people the benefit of the doubt yeah and, um i think that gets lost a lot in translation sometimes and, and i i can understand when these police shootings happen and all of a sudden there's a cell phone in the guy's hand you know but he used it like he was using a gun i, I get that yeah i get that you know and and then they go after the police officer but you got to remember put yourselves in our shoes and what we're seeing and what the those movements are telling us so, and it, whether it was a wallet or a cell phone, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it was uh, intense. Could I have pulled the trigger? Probably. And I would have had to tell that story and yeah, I would have been in the wrong. Yep. But so, yep. but yeah, that's, it's, it's a very dangerous thing. You've been in some serious, you know, uh, apprehensions as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've been, uh, been involved in a few, a few serious apprehensions. Um, one of which recently was uh, the uh, manhunt for uh Corporal Eugene Cole's killer. Uh, I was involved in that over there. I got called called the day of uh, that Gene went missing. Um, that was a traffic stop, and yeah, he had a suspect that he was looking for. I uh, believed he had warrants. Uh, he yeah. ended up. Uh, Gene was a deputy sheriff for which county? Somerset County. Somerset County. Yep, Somerset County. Like Gene was Gene was killed in the line of duty. We were able to. It was a four day manhunt, and we were able to capture his killer which recently uh, went to trial and he was convicted. So, I mean, you were boots on the ground in the woods looking for his killer. Yeah, we were uh, We were charged with, I mean, because we're search and rescue and that's what we do is search the woods and they really wanted us to uh, go out and search for him. So this um, is a warden team? This, our team, the team that actually captured him was made up of just myself and another game warden. There were five other members uh of other different agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were multi-agency. Kind of, yeah. It was kind of a hodgepodge from federal agents to local, uh, to uh, state police. We just happened to, I kind of, I was really on him on the first day. We had, I had found some tracks and found a cigarette, but it went off into the woods in a weird location. And, uh, that kind of caught my attention. So we brought state police tech team in with another dog. We actually started tracking him. Uh, but it was getting dark, and we were at a major disadvantage, so we ended up backing out of there. Later, the next day, uh, we found more tracks with the state police tack team that I was with. Didn't find didn't find the subject, but kind of had an idea of the direction he might have been heading, but we mm-hmm. weren't really sure. We were kind of behind on him. And then third day, searched again, and then the fourth day, we we had a location where we had made it to with a new hampshire state police dog uh they had brought a plot hound over that was a tracking dog mm-hmm. made it to this location with new hampshire state police tack team and main warden uh, main state police tack team really didn't go any further and i it bothered me that 
we got to this spot and I said, you know, this track's going in this direction. There's no way he went straight. Well, when we found out the next day was when we got our search area that we were going to go to, it was similar to that area. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very close and we chose that location on purpose because we knew that we wanted to get in there to look at it. Yeah. We went back in and the trail went to the left and it didn't go straight through the bog. So we realized this was the direction he's going to go. It's a path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we found an old track that looked very similar to the one that we had been tracking three days prior. So we continued on that and it was very faint. I mean, we only picked up probably several tracks within a certain distance. We were starting to clear areas and we ended up hearing about this cabin. We had, we had had someone mention a cabin to us. So we looked on Google, on Google maps and uh, we could see it. And what we didn't realize at the time or later, what we found out was that we were looking at the wrong cabin. We knew there was a cabin up ahead, Mm -hmm. but the one that we actually found the suspect in was another cabin. So we had no idea that that cabin was there until we were on top of it. Wow. And what we did was we came up into the open field. Someone smelled wood smoke and we were like, we, so we just got down and uh, we heard some banging in the cabin. We knew at that point that someone was in there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I made my way around to the front of the cabin through the woods. I, I ran all the way around. The subject actually came out of the cabin at that point and he was, he was uh, carrying a tote to go out probably to collect snow because he was needed water. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we were able to take him take him down without any incident. We were able to capture the uh, Gene Cole's killer. Overall, like couldn't have timed it any better uh, because he had just gotten there. I would say because he had uh, his clothing was all off and up next to the wood stove where he had just started a fire in the cabin mm-hmm. and uh, was drying his clothes out. So he had been out the whole time. Which, and then when he came out, he had just like long johns on. So we were able to be able to see everything. Nice. And we had his hands like on the Tupperware, on the tote, which gave us a, a major advantage because we had him at that point where we could we knew that there wasn't anything on him. And we were able to take him down without any incident. We found, uh, found a, I found one rifle inside the cabin. And later the investigators found a, found a handgun in there also. I had seen a handgun clip, but I didn't see the handgun itself. But what, Were you the one that initiated the takedown? We were all, position, well, because of my position, I actually wanted the other guys to initiate it okay. because I was the only one on the front side. Gotcha. They were up, they were close to the road and he was walking to them. Uh, so okay. I said, I go, but you could separate him from the exactly. Cabin. And that that's was my great. thought process behind mm-hmm. that was I go, I'm the one that's going to have to get there before he does. Before he does. Yes, yeah. I go, cause absolutely. I'm thinking dangers in the cabin. Mm-hmm. I go, if he doesn't have it with him. Then exactly. It's there. I go, yeah. it's got to be in there. We ended up. They initiated the takedown, and we were able to get him in handcuffs, and I went to the cabin to clear the cabin. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I remember the FBI agent saying to me, we were clearing the cabin. It was a real small cabin. I, I call it the Ted Kaczynski cabin, the Unabomber cabin. Mm-hmm. Very small. I, I can picture that now because oh, yeah. I remember you, that. Like, yeah, yeah that I mean, down. everyone remembers that, mm-hmm. and uh, very much like that. I remember going to look up in the the little loft it had just a little loft like i could have looked right up there and the fbi agent said don't stick your head up there and you know it resonates with me to this day because we had just lost an officer down in cape cod down in massachusetts he was down there with his dog and they had gone up after a suspect up in a attic and they shot him 
that officer lost his life due to sticking it, like going up in there and trying to catch the subject. I'll never forget the FBI agent telling me that. And it really like to this day, I'm like, you know, even though there was no one up there, it's still always a good, good training, like to right. remember that. But yeah, we were, we were able to catch him. And, uh, like I said, he, he just stood trial and was convicted of, uh, killing Corporal Cole. He was convicted of murder. Now they're awaiting sentencing. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a, it, it's a horrible story, but it's it's like you said, it's the closure part. It's the the suspect didn't get away. Exactly. I mean, we all miss Gene to this day. Um, mm. I mean, any any brother law enforcement, any person would understand that uh, what happened is totally wrong. To lose Gene in that way is just uh, it's awful. You know, like it's um, it was it was nice to bring bring closure to it for the family and i'm glad that they're uh seeing closure now that the trial's over mm. so they can they can begin to move on with their their lives and always remember gene that's for sure kind of move on from there and enjoy enjoy life yeah absolutely such a tragic event every time we lose a brother or a sister so it's just uh you know it always hits home so but. yeah i mean it seems like it happens more and more frequently nowadays unfortunately and it's just um just somewhat of the society that we're in mm-hmm. and being the police in the woods we're on point so to speak yeah exactly you know like like you said you divide your wardens up among your teams because they're the woods guys so stick them in there they know how to run a gps they know how to do this they know how to do that and, yeah i mean uh, in that instance we were the ones that we were we were the trackers and we were the we were the ones with the gps so we were the navigators mm. and um i mean in this case luckily like we had a really good team and we were able to um we were able to like bring it to a safe ending, bring resolution to it. Yeah. So let's talk about Northwoods Law a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of blazed the trail, man. So Yeah, I mean, uh like I remember when they first they first came here, they they how, were gonna How long ago was that? Because Boy. It's amazing. You guys did so much that some days I wake up to I Chris Simmons say, on TV, yeah. which just kills me. I want to say so. probably six and a half to seven years ago now total. Yeah. Like when they first came up here. And it's funny too, because when they first came up, really the reason why they kind of, I got on the show was I had a call for a baby moose calf that day and they were in Maine doing a sizzle reel and they were, uh, they were up here with our now corporal John McDonald. They were, they were riding around with him and they heard me with the moose calf. Mm. So they, they right said, on it. Yeah. They said, Hey, can you hold up a second? We want to check out this moose calf. And so it that's, began. that's history. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember like I watched and that f- was the sizzle reel to kind of sell the show. Exactly. That was the sizzle reel that was to sell, uh, the show to animal planet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really where it all started. I remember like it was seeing the footage now. I was in our older uniforms. Like we didn't even have the uniforms we have today. Like really, I think, yeah, it's, it was, I was about five to six years on. So mm. it was a while ago now. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It like, is. and you, it's on all the time. I see, I know. I meet people from all over the place. I was in Florida this, uh, this spring we were on vacation and i was talking with these very nice people from uh, knoxville tennessee and they asked me what i did for work and i told them and they were like oh wow that's really neat and uh they'd never heard of the show which was was unique for me because a Mm -hmm. lot of times people are like oh i've seen that show yeah and they 
they always mess up the name. Like that's mm-hmm. the funny part about North Maine Woods and <laughs> North Northern Law, and yeah. I'm like, ah, whatever. It's all close enough. It's, it's all, and uh, <laughs> they know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, they get it. <laughs> but these people had never seen it, so I said, if you want to see what I do for work, check out this show. Yeah, and they've been in touch with me since, and they love the show, and they they watch the New Hampshire show now, and yeah, they're. It's 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 actually unique because before we did the show, I remember watching Florida. They had a show for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. and I remember watching that. Then obviously Alaska State Troopers. For some reason, Northwoods Law seems seems like it's uh, holding its own out there, and it seems to have taken off. And I mean, I don't watch the reruns because I I watch it once. That's what I always said. It's to myself. like watching work, isn't it? Yeah, and I I'm I'm my biggest critic. So when I uh, when I watch it, I'm always critiquing myself. Well, it, it's good your wife isn't. So yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm always like if I'm interviewing someone, I'm like oh, I shouldn't have done that, or mm-hmm. I should have done this, or like, and I right. I catch things that I or something you said, and you're like that was the stupidest yeah. thing. I should have never and said I, that. Yeah, and you miss you miss like those idiosyncrasies from someone in an interview, mm. and then you see it again. Yes. Um, Why didn't I pick up on that? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's like you know like. And we talk about like safety and stuff with body cams and stuff, but I watched the I watched film on Northwoods Law and and now I see like why Tom Brady's such a good player because he watches this film he, all he the time it and, and he corrects he it. corrects it yeah and you know that's one thing like with us that we uh, we don't do that a lot we don't right and I watch I guess it would be very similar where I watch film and I watch it one time and I I want to correct myself so. Like I'm my biggest. That's a good point because yeah. I always felt like it was watching work, so I didn't want to do it. Yeah, like I am my biggest critic. It's um, mm. I just I I enjoy watching a few episodes. Like I I really really enjoy the moose hunt with my dad. That was that was probably my favorite episode, and the Jerry Largay episode. That was a really good one too. The mm-hmm. bringing closure to the family and stuff. But my my moose hunt with my dad was a frustrating one. But it was uh, it made you for got good, a moose right? It yeah, last okay, day. Phew. But it made for good TV. I bet like, it did. Uh, those guys. But did they, they cram a week into like a day? Yeah. 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 We were, uh, <laughs> we, they, they stayed it's with amazing me. amazing how they do it. They're oh, very yeah. good at what they, they do. They are. They're very good at that. <laughs> we were, they, they stayed with me all week though. They, uh, they did a good job, but I can remember there were some frustrating moments along the way. Uh-huh. Like, uh, when I, when I had a hunting party on the first day of like, uh, 12 people, I was not, oh, really, I was not very happy. Yeah. And then, uh, well, by the time we got the moose, it was down to three. My dad and I and the one camera guy. One camera guy. <laughs> yeah. No, they, we they, had to call. I had to call Emily and uh, like I had to tell her that we got a moose and I needed help. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "What happened to your entourage?" <laughs> yeah. She uh, she was like, she's like, you actually. She couldn't believe that I actually got one. And I'm like, it's gonna be real <laughs> embarrassing. <great. laughs> it's gonna be real embarrassing when the game warden doesn't get a moose. Uh, uh, but it happens. It does happen. It does. I, it really I could does. Throw some names out there, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's changed. The moose hunts changed. Like when I first, uh, I had a permit back in uh, 2007. That was my first permit. And then I was I was fortunate enough to get one back in 2014, and then my dad actually got drawn three years ago now. So I've been on some moose hunts, and I I really enjoy moose hunting. Uh, mm. It's probably my favorite type of hunting because I enjoy the interaction between the moose and moose and the hunter. I even spend my my time up there on my days off, like in my special spot that I won't divulge. But mm-hmm. uh, I go up there and call moose and take pictures of them and stuff. Nice. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, that, that, that's cool. I I must say it's it was my favorite time to work when we were busy. I've never 
I had calls pending as a game warden, and that stuff never <laughs> yeah. happens. I think we had three calls and we were on a call. Yeah, you know, and that yeah. it was just it was so much fun because I loved from sunrise to two hours after sunset. You were just going, going, big investigations, double moves, triple moves, yep. sick moose that we checked out earlier that the guy shot. You know, it was just it was just one thing. Yeah, after I remember another. like the uh, hearing from the older wardens when it the moose hunts changed here quite a bit where we have numerous seasons now mm. in Maine but when they used to have the one week yeah it was like yeah, that's, crazy it was crazy because it was but like it was 35 fun. I, I love 30, being busy I oh love, yeah yeah exactly I mean it's when you're a game warden you don't want to like paperwork is the worst thing that we do yes and sitting behind a computer is I mean we want to get out and interact with people mm. and check fishermen and see what's actually I mean I guess the reality is like game wardens are curious like I'm always my wife's always like why do you think like that and I'm like <laughs> it's just natural like I ask Sounds like my wife too. I oh I ask questions all mm-hmm. the time and I make conversations with people and my wife's staring at me like who is this guy <laughs> and what is he talking about and I'm like well I was like I'm building something here yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> so you find out a lot of information especially like uh good spots to hunt and fish so oh I, I, absolutely <laughs> you know I, I tell people they, they, I don't want to be a game warden because I like hunting and fishing I'm like our time is reduced but we always have the best spots exactly like I mean I it's um like my time management's better when I want to hunt because mm. I know where to go exactly like, I don't have to look for a spot I'm always mm-hmm. scouting mm-hmm. I mean yeah I mean it's definitely uh it's it's a great career yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the only time I can remember Eric telling me all about this buck he's been watching all summer long, and opening day he rolls right up there, and there's this guy that rolled in before him, and he shot that buck up on. He's like, he never even got out of the the, the landing where the truck was, and he <laughs> sees it up. He's, you know, he's all yeah. So oh, that's, yeah. That, that stuff happens. So, yep. but uh, uh, do you ever think you were going to be on TV? I mean, that's no. Um, to be honest with you, when we like, I always I I applied for Survivor. Um, when I was in college, when I got out of college, really, uh, yeah, and I wanted uh, to do that. I really, <laughs> I really wanted to go on reality TV. Uh-huh. But it really, like I, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I grew up in a small town from Maine. I was like, what, what would they have any need for me on there? But now that I've been on reality it. TV, <laughs> I probably have a pretty good shot. Yeah, I could probably get on. I could probably be on. Yeah, no, I. Honestly, I thought that when we did the sizzle reel and stuff, I said, you know what? I've seen shows and stuff. They're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I go, that was the reality. I go, right. who, who wants to see what we're doing and mm-hmm. all that? And then, like, really, it started to take off, and um, it was uh, became very popular and pretty crazy, like, uh, the following. It's unbelievable, right. like, how many people reach out to me and how many people I've met through this. Met some very nice people. Met a lot of... A lot of great people that really enjoy what we do and appreciate what we're doing as wardens. Right. And you, you promote conservation law enforcement. So. Yeah. I mean, and that is the biggest thing when we were doing the show is I said, if, if we're going to do this, I want to promote like what we're doing, not only as a main agency, but as wardens throughout the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're in Africa or, or Mexico or Alaska or Maine new hampshire thanks for including me yeah we we all do the same thing we're all out there protecting wildlife and we're trying to protect it for future generations Mm -hmm. if we don't do that we're not going to have anything further down the road really that was the big thing when we were doing the show was i want to show people that there are intentional violators out there Mm -hmm. that are doing this that it needs to stop 
like you working with IWC or Operation Game Thief, like all these partners that we have, it is important that we continue to get that word out because otherwise uh, there isn't going to be anything left. Mm. No, absolutely. And it seems like our numbers are reducing and we're getting more and more thrown on us because more happening in the woods. There's more recreation in the woods and may not necessarily be hunting or fishing. It might be hiking, but it seems like game wardens are actually reducing you know, numbers. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, um, it's a hard career to get into. It's something uh, we've talked about it several times today, but it's a, it's, it's a lifestyle and not a career. And I think a lot of people nowadays, they're looking for a career and not a lifestyle. They, they go about it the backwards way from what, what we do. And really the, the big thing is that you really have to love your job. For me, when I got into this career, I said, you know what, I'm going to do something that I love and not do something that I'm just going as a career and doing it for the money or anything like that. This is this is a career that I enjoy getting up every day mm. and I enjoy going out and working in late into the evening. Like you and I had talked about earlier, it's things do happen after dark. Mm-hmm. I know it's that a lot of people, yeah, I know a lot of people <laughs> don't think about that, but nine to five people are working and is there stuff that goes on during that time? Absolutely. But after five o'clock at night till nine the next morning, there's a lot of things that go on. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, people are people are out recreating early morning, late in the night. Like you said, it doesn't matter whether it's ATVs or... And like my grandmother said, nothing good happens after midnight. You're right. There is... There, <laughs> that is absolutely true. Like I... Yeah. When you get the... When the phone rings at like 1201... Yeah. You're like, this isn't going to be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I, I used to go to bed at like seven expecting that call after, you know, 11, yeah. 12. You kind of so. get that feeling after like, I mean, <laughs> about eight years on, you start to work into that where you're like, oh, something bad's going to happen tonight. Yep. <laughs> like you just feel it. Yep. <laughs> Sunday nights, you know, yeah. at the end of the weekend, oh, overdues, yeah. yep. injuries. Yep. The, or know. like when you, or in, if it's raining and oh, they slip. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm always, when I, when it rains, I go, oh, we'll be up on the Appalachian trail. Yeah. Someone's going to slip and hurt their ankle or mm-hmm. in the winter time, vice versa. When it's a, it's absolute whiteout, I go, snowmobile crash tonight no yep. doubt no doubt it's just inevitable it's like it's uh you can kind of time it <laughs> no 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 doubt no doubt so anything else you want to cover because this is uh like i say it's it's your show as well as my show you know i i appreciate like everything you're doing here this is a really cool show we were talking about some podcasts before and stuff i think it's really really neat to get our message out there on different levels like i said my wife does all kinds of different social media aspects and stuff and and i'm active on instagram and all the other social media more because of my wife because she Mm -hmm. she kind of tied me and she's the social media guru it's awesome that you're getting it out there and uh sending this message out and promoting what wardens do throughout the country and and i wanted um, to get that extra out you know they see on animal planet and but what else you know the the backstory exactly i mean and that's the thing is like they like they can only show 45 minute episode like it's it's right. an hour hour episode that <laughs> and think how watching. long they took to make that 45 minute right. episode <laughs> exactly and i found out like i didn't even know this but in germany right now northwood's law is airing 
So I'm getting a ton of like fans from oh wow from Germany. So it's airing in Europe now. So and, and they actually have a longer segment because exactly. there's less commercials. Yeah, there's less commercials. Yeah. I, that's what I was going to say. Like, I didn't realize that, mm-hmm. but in Europe they have less commercials. Smart people. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's always like the, my grandmother's from Germany, so she's like I I know that they're a lot smarter over there. <laughs> but no, it's good. It's uh, it's awesome. Looking forward to the softball game. Hey, yeah, exactly. And I want to talk about that because uh, the two podcasts before this are going to be Eric Fluett. You and Eric met. You guys did the social media you know, kickoff for this, uh, which moved, made me move everything up so we could get your backstory so people could learn more about you guys connected to that softball game so they can go and watch you guys play. But, but you're a ringer, aren't you? Because you played in college. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You didn't like, want to bring yeah. that out. I no, knew that was the kind, of, but I'm, I'm yeah. like going to expose this. No, so. they, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I played uh, played in college. Played played my freshman year, and then I transferred back to University of Maine. Play up at Orono, but yeah, I played my freshman year in college. Yeah, yeah. we got some. Uh, we got we got some heavy hitters. That we got some good talent. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we'll see how you know. It ends you look up at the, the pitches, and Eric had the height on you. You might have he a better did. strength. You know, I said in. that. I go. Uh, I was like, boy, the pictures are gonna. I was yeah, like, we actually had to put him in a hole so he was actually within the same <laughs> photo frame. That is true. Yeah, like he uh, he definitely towers above me. I was like, I was like, by the photos, it looks like New Hampshire is probably gonna win, but we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that. Uh, that good old uh, competitive spirit that we both have. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a healthy competition, it is. and we're all doing it for a great cause. That's the best thing about it, and not only that, but it gives us adults a great excuse to go play a game that we all uh, love. So uh, it's uh, I've been trying to convince my wife that I needed a baseball bat, so it was a good excuse <laughs> to buy one, and uh, we're here, here we go. <laughs> Jeez, that's awesome, Chris. Well, thanks for taking the time, and thanks for sharing with everybody your, your, your experiences of Game Warden. And, uh, you know, maybe sometime down the road we can do it all again, and we'll figure out what we didn't talk about. Absolutely. I mean, I have, have a few stories now that I've shared, but uh, I hope down the road we'll have a few more good ones. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. No problem. So there's the conclusion of Episode 13. It released two days prior to Northwood's Throwdown softball game. And these guys are all fired up for that. I'm hoping you're going to join us for that softball game because it's uh, raising money for International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, Operation Game Thieves, and Make-A-Wish. So I hope you enjoyed Chris McCabe's. I really enjoyed doing the interviews. This is part of why I did it. I just, at the end of it, I sit there and I'm just, I had a good time. Time flies. We tell stories of uh, catching bad guys, of search and rescue missions, of all kinds of things that we do as game wardens. So it's kind of the behind the scenes of the television shows you were seeing. So if you enjoy those things, you're going to enjoy Warden's Watch to get that behind-the-scenes aspect of what goes on and some of the things you're not going to get to see. Because, you know, I always tell the guys, this is their podcast. Game Warden's out there. This is your podcast. This is the way that we're going to get your message out. And whatever you want to talk about, I want to talk about. I always want to try to keep it positive because I think who wants to listen to a negative show? Keep it positive and uh, tell our stories. Share it. Uh, we get some awesome adventures. People need to know what game wardens do. We need to keep pushing the game warden message, interacting, and making that connection with people. Thanks for listening to episode 13. Episode 14 coming up is going to be with Grant Hacking, international renowned wildlife artist. I know you guys are going to really enjoy that because I did too. Uh, there isn't a podcast I haven't not enjoyed yet. So, hey, hang on. Keep tuning in. Keep sharing with your friends. Subscribe. 
You know, I keep preaching that, but that's that's the way podcasts survive. Game Warden Wayne Saunders here, signing off with Warden's Watch. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.